captain's logs. Han Solo. I'm Captain of the Millennium Falcon. This is Captain Jean-Luc Picard of the Federation Starship Enterprise. Listening to Captain's Logs and Lightsabers, part of the Geek News Now podcast network. Welcome to a very special episode of Captain's Logs and Lightsabers. My name is Jonathan, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host Chris. So before we get into our discussion today, the entire reason why our podcast exists is because we are commemorating the 23rd anniversary of Jedi Talk, which was the very first Star Wars-focused podcast. They released their very first episode, February 7th, 1999. So this is a huge uh, deal. We are participating once again in Star Wars Podcast Day. This is the second year Star Wars. Star Wars Podcast Day has existed, and it's a way to recognize the trailblazers in our fandom that that decided to start a podcast to talk about Star Wars. So we participated last year, and we discussed all of the many new Star Wars shows that are coming to Disney Plus over the next several years. Now, we've seen some of those projects come to life. We've seen them in various forms of filming or production, and we've seen some of them uh, drop off the radar entirely. But uh, one show that at the time that we're recording this episode has just one single left episode left to air. And that happens to be the topic we're discussing today. However, before we get into our main discussion, I want to reintroduce my co-host for Captain's Logs and Lightsabers, Chris. And I'm also simultaneously going to introduce a new segment on the show where uh, we get to talk about the things that we geeked out about since the last recording outside of Star Trek and Star Wars. Uh, we're calling it, How Did You Geek This Week? So, without further ado, Chris, how did you geek this week? Well, first of all, it's nice to be talking with you again, Jonathan, and hello to the audience. It's, I'm happy to be here, and I'm really looking forward to discussing this week's episode. So, in terms of how did I geek this week? Well, I actually went to see the brand new movie, Moonfall. If those of you who don't know what Moonfall is about, it's it's a a movie that just came out. I think it's through Lionsgate, and basically what it it talks about is the moon starts to fall from its orbit and starts heading to Earth. So basically, society panics, and NASA has to come together basically and work on getting up to the moon and trying to figure out what's going on and stop it and save human civilization as we know it. So that was pretty much it. Halle Berry is one of the stars in it. She did a wonderful job. Um, can't remember the name of the other one. I think the last name was uh, Wilson. I think Patrick Wilson, I believe the name his name was, was, was the other lead. And then there was a whole slew of other um, actors that I've never really seen before, but did really wonderful job in the story. So what I really loved the movie. Um, Basically, I got a feel of a lot of nostalgia from the movie, from past movies over the last 30 years. It definitely had the feel of Independence Day, the feel of Armageddon, the feel of Deep Impact, and it definitely had some pieces of the Terminator franchise all mixed in. So you have four different franchises going on with the basic plot of the storyline and the pacing. There was also some feeling of 2012, and uh, Mm -hmm. there was uh, the day... The world would end tomorrow. I can't remember the day. 
something there was some sort of natural disaster movie uh, due to uh, global pollution. I, I can't remember what it was called. The day after tomorrow, I think it was called. Mm-hmm. I think you're yeah. right. Yeah. So that one got kind of mixed in. Then in terms of the villain of the movie, basically, there was again, there was a feeling of the Terminator vibe again, but without giving too much away, it also had a strong feel of the villain from the second season of Star Trek Discovery and the villain of the first season of Star Trek Picard. So yeah. It, it was, yeah, so it was very, very interesting. There were, again, you saw themes from different movies kind of stuff going on. And one of my thoughts was, is, oh, we're going down this route again <laughs> with, with, with something with the story toward the end. But it was it was freshly done with the mix. The acting was very, very good. Um, you actually, this is one of those movies that you actually started to care about the characters. Um, yeah. You don't seem to see a lot of that nowadays, like where you used to be able to feel like a, an attachment to the characters, like an alien and aliens. Mm-hmm. But then later on down the road, you watch like alien resurrection and they're all just kind of expendable characters. <laughs> you know, it's, there's no connection. This movie, you actually feel connection with them. So I highly recommend going and seeing it. If you're into any kind of outer space movie or, you know, any kind of like a pop, apocalyptic kind of movies that are coming out go see it it's for you nice nice so how about you how did you geek out this week so a couple things um i i know we were talking pre-show chris i i am hard into the uh wordle craze that everybody seems to be sharing on social media um it's a great exercise you know coming up trying to come up with that five letter word every day um keeping your streak going, all of that stuff. I'm into that. Also, the other thing that I really uh, got into this week, um, I, I started watching a new show on on Stars. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it's a um, it is the sh- it is the newest show from Ronald D. Moore and Ira Stephen Bear, which mm-hmm. uh, Trek fans will instantly recognize that duo as the powerhouse behind Star Trek: Deep Space Nine. Mm-hmm. Now they've reunited. Uh, as a team um and they worked on the first couple seasons of outlander so outlander if you're not familiar with it is a historical drama so the main character is claire she is a combat nurse she's in uh enlisted in the british army and her husband is as well and they have a time together where they're not you know on separate assignment uh so they decide to take a second honeymoon to scotland where uh, uh her husband frank can track his uh, history, his his history through Scotland, through uh, the the Highlander clans, and and so on. Um, but something happens. Uh, they they uh, they stumble upon this ritual of uh, women chanting around a stone structure. Kind of, sort of looks like Stonehenge, but not. Um, okay. There's like a there's a, a focal stone in the center, and then a ring of stones around it. These women are singing and chanting with lanterns, and uh, at some point, Claire decides to go back to the sites uh, where this ritual was taking place, and she picks a flower, and then all of a sudden, uh, she picks a flower. She touches the rock in the center, and she's transported back in time to 1743. So she's a 20th century woman, a combat nurse, very used to speaking her mind. Now she has to basically find a way to assimilate into a society that is 
200 years behind uh, the sensibilities of the 20th century. So it, it's very, very interesting, very sure. cool historical drama, really puts uh, a, a big focus on Scotland, which we don't get a lot of content in Scotland uh, mm-hmm. in, in popular media, which is great. So, mm-hmm. yeah, um, it's a little sci-fi, a little historical drama. It's it's a really good show, but I will say it is not for the family. Um, it is on Stars, so it is a premium cable show. So there will be uh, a fair bit of language, nudity, and sex throughout the the show. So definitely not something to watch with the kids, but a really good show nonetheless. Well, that sounds really exciting. That makes me just want to get Stars and just start to check it out. It, it sounds. It sounds very fascinating, and I need to start expanding my kind of nerdism with some of the stuff that I watch. So I think I'm going to be picking your brain for good shows to start watching. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's definitely something you and uh, and Brandy can get into as, sure. a, as a couple. Absolutely. That'd be great. I'd love to. Yeah, anything we can do to share time together. Um, so cool. Yeah. So uh, on that note, let's move on to our feature discussion, the reason why we're here today. So as you may have been able to guess from my not-so-subtle hint earlier, we are talking about the first six episodes of The Book of Boba Fett. We're not going to analyze every single episode with a thorough breakdown. Chris and I are just going to simply be discussing our favorite parts of each episode, and then any moments that just may not have worked for us. And we're going to take it episode by episode, but like I said, it's not going to be a a huge breakdown scene by scene. Uh, Lastly, I think we're going to attempt to make some predictions about what we think will happen in the finale episode. Uh, And I'm sure our guesses will be totally incorrect and way off the mark. So (laughs) (laughs) without further ado, chapter one, Stranger in a Strange Land. So we didn't get a whole lot of info or uh, synopsis of this episode. We just get the the cryptic words, Boba Holds Court. So, Chris, what did you like about Chapter 1 of The Book of Boba Fett? Well, the first part that I really enjoyed was definitely watching him inside the Sarlacc pit and him getting himself out of there. I know that they had talked about him being escaping the Sarlacc in some of the past legend stories in, in the books, but to actually get to see the inside and see the guts and see that stormtrooper stuck mm-hmm. in there, you know, and then um, him being able to finally work his way out and see all that like acid and everything on his suit. You know, I thought that I thought that was fascinating to actually get to see him actually get out and, and how he was able to escape when so many others weren't, weren't able to. So that, that was pretty uh, a fun experience. Um, also, I think getting him involved with the Tuscans was a pretty good story too, to kind of give him a new backstory of kind of filling in the gaps or starting to fill in the gaps of what happened to him between return of the Jedi. And when we saw him in the Mandalorian, you know, and, and basically he started out basically as their slave as their prisoner. And he basically earned their respect and so it made me very interested in seeing how that was going to sh- kind of show and change and see a little bit of what Tuscan society was like, mm-hmm. you know? So those are the things that I really enjoyed about it. Um, how about you? Yeah, I, I echo your exact same uh, feelings about the episode. I really, you know, as far as the, the, the Sarlacc pit escape, that's something that I've kind of been envisioning for years. And then of course, you know, all of the expanded universe novels kind of had a take on how Boba Fett escaped. Mm-hmm. Uh, you had that, you know, you, you had the book tales of the bounty hunters where you kind of get that story, but, and, and then yes, everything with the Tuscans was and his uh, and, and 
the fact that Boba was rescued by them and then they kind of treat him, you know, as a prisoner for a while until mm-hmm. he begins to prove himself. Uh, I, I know this is basically the plot of Dances with Wolves, but I don't mm-hmm. care. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I loved it. Okay. I thought it was fantastic. Um, exactly. <laughs> and the other thing. Who'd have thought that Droopy McCool would survive the the explosion of uh, of Jabba's sail barge? I don't know. I don't know how he got off that sail barge uh, before it exploded in the Return mm-hmm. of the Jedi, but I'm happy that he did. And you know what? Hey, a guy's got to work, so you know he found his next gig at uh, at uh, Sanctuary um, mm-hmm. in Mos Espa. So. Good right. for him, right? Right. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I was wondering the same thing how he got away. I, I looked at him for a second. I was like, I recognize this character. And then it hit me who who it was. So you're absolutely right that, you know, how did he end up getting off the sail barge? But I guess it was an off screen moment <laughs> I guess, that nobody I guess. wants to talk about. You know, but yeah. <laughs> the only thing that I didn't like about the episode, and it was more kind of flowing into the other episodes. I'm not one of those big fans of storytelling where you're you're showing a story and then all of a sudden you backtrack to a, a flashback mm-hmm. that takes up most of the episode. Um, now, as I've gotten through the season up into the, to the last episode, it's grown on me as to the reason why they, they spent so much time showing that stuff with the Tusken Raiders. It makes more sense now of everything as it's come together. Um, but that, my first viewing of that episode and then in two and three was... Oh great! They're taking a. There's a story that's developing now. We're backtracking to the past, you know? and I, I see that a lot in a lot more modern storytelling. I saw a lot of it in Battlestar Galactica, and it used to drive me nuts there as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, but I mean, it's really that's the only complaint. I loved the first episode. I thought it was great. Yeah, that I mean, that was kind of the whole hook of Lost, though. Too was was the flashbacks, mm-hmm. and right. then later, and then later, plot twist, flash forwards. Mm-hmm. Exactly, exactly. So, yeah, I'm more of a linear kind of person with a story, but I mean, I, I, as like I said, as the season's gone on, it made sense. Yeah, yeah. Now, the the one thing that I didn't care for, mm-hmm. I, maybe it's just me. I don't know. I I wasn't a fan of uh, the mayor's uh, major domo. I, I I just the the bureaucratic humor just didn't land with me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sure some people it was hilarious. Uh, you loved it. I just it just. It was one thing that fell flat for me. Mm-hmm. Yet I'm the guy that cracks up at Poe Dameron's your mom joke to uh, to General Hux in, in the Last Jedi. So I don't know what that says about me. But <laughs> no, I got you. As I was, you know, when I was doing my rewatch, I felt the same way about him. He's just a typical slimy bureaucrat, you know, that'll say anything to save his own butt, basically. And yeah. uh, with the current political climate where everybody's so politically divided. It was kind of like watching the news and it was kind of like, I don't really need to see that. You know? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I got you on that. That makes perfect sense. Yep. All right. Um, <clears throat> minor gripes, of course, from both mm-hmm. of us, but exactly. overall we thought it was a solid episode, I think. Mm-hmm. All Absolutely. right. Let's, let's move on to chapter two, the tribes of Tatooine. Uh, the description we got for this one, Boba faces new challengers on Tatooine. Uh, I'll start this one off. What mm-hmm. I liked about the episode, I thought it was hilarious whenever Fennec had the idea to drop the assassin uh, into the Rancor pit and, mm-hmm. and use that as a as a fake out to get him to talk. I thought that was brilliant. Mm-hmm. Fennec Shan has fantastic ideas. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, she's a very, very bright. She's a very well-written character. Yes. Without a doubt. And, and Ming, Na, Ming Na Wen is a wonderful actress. She, you can tell she's relishing the role because she's. you can just the way that she talks, the sliminess and kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And the way she, it, it, you can tell that she's enjoying every single moment of what she, the dialogue that she's saying. And she's giving her all and feeding into it. You know, she's she's just amazing. And she's been a wonderful part of this cast, without a doubt. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I'm mm-hmm. I'm so happy that, uh, you know, that she survived her incident in The Mandalorian Season 1, obviously. Mm-hmm. And um, that's something that we are going to see a little bit later uh, mm-hmm. in, in a future episode uh, as we continue our discussion here. Um, I thought it was amazing seeing the Hut twins. I thought yes. that was fantastic. It's so mm-hmm. good to see Hut's back in live action again and yes. they looked phenomenal yes they did <clears throat> i'm sure they were cgi they had to be cgi but they yeah. still looked incredible yeah um, yeah you couldn't tell if they were really cgi or a puppet that's how good the the detailing on them was it, yeah. it was wonderful yeah you know, and for me you know i like i like the twins also but i guess i'm a little biased as i'm an identical twin so you know getting to see them being close and and you know working together it made sense to me yeah, I thought it was really cool how their tails were intertwined with one another. Like one was on top of the other. That was cool. They gave you that yeah. shot, you know, to really yeah. uh, play up the, the relationship that they are uh, as close as, as siblings can be. Yes, absolutely. I did wonder, though, how those soldiers or the, their slaves or whatever were able to carry those two around. <laughs> like they needed a lot more help. Yeah. Than what yeah. they had. You know, one. Was, little... one... Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, you might think. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I did see they 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 added a nice little touch. Uh, the 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 um the litter was bowing in the center. Mm. I missed that. I didn't see that. Yeah, I thought that was a cool little touch. Um, okay. and last thing I really want to talk about the thing that really uh I was shocked and and amazed to see was the introduction of Black Kersantan. He is a character from the Darth Vader and Dr. Afra comics. Uh, so he's been around in the comics since 26, 2015, 2016. Okay. Uh, very early on into uh, Disney's uh, purchase of, of Lucasfilm, um, okay. he was introduced. So it's really cool to see him make the leap from page to screen. Wonderful. And, you know, he's a pretty, he's a scary dude. <laughs> he really is. He's pretty bad. You know, he's, he's tough. Um, you don't know what his loyalties are going to be. He has that, uh, doesn't he have like the space version of brass knuckles that actually has electricity that flows through them? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was pretty intense to be able to see him, him fighting and yeah, I mean, he's, he's really something. It's nice to actually see a Wookiee in live action again. We haven't, besides Chewbacca, we haven't seen any others. What since Solo? Yeah. Some in the Spice Mines of Kessel. Yep. You know, and before that, what was it? Episode three? So, I think, yeah. yeah. So, see, yeah. So it was, it was a nice touch to bring that in. I didn't know that he was already introduced. I thought he was a brand new character created for the show. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, now you know. Yeah. Absolutely. That's what's good about with, good about this show between you and I. I bring the Star Trek knowledge for the most part, and you bring in the Star Wars stuff. That's so right. It's yeah. Kind of, we learn different stuff from each other, which is really cool. Um. So I agree with you. I think that those were some of the best parts of the episode. Plus, the, the 
we were starting to finally get the beginning of the spice syndicate and that spice train watching Boba training. The Tuscans was really, was really awesome. And um, watching them kind of being involved with technology and, and learning how to defend themselves. It was interesting seeing the Tuscan culture. We were seeing more about them and their, what their lives are all about and, and what traditions that they have rather than just seeing them as these masked enemies that are just violent for whatever reason. You know, seeing some of the leadership and some of how you actually worked on becoming loyal with them. Mm-hmm. Um, the one part that I didn't like, and it's just because I hate lizards, was <laughs> the part of the lizard going up his, <laughs> up his brain, you know, right. and then they had that trippy sequence with him getting the branch. But it made perfect sense, and he got to make a, his own gaffy stick out of it. So that was yeah. cool. Yeah, it was kind of your classic uh, vision quest sequence. Yes. You know, that that has been a trope in, in um, TV for a while. Right. TV and movies, I should say. <clears throat> right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, yeah. So uh, the one thing that I really didn't care for in this episode uh, was the, the sequence where Boba goes to get the uh the swoop bikes so that they can take down the train mm-hmm. um i thought it was like i i, I like i like fan service but i thought this was just a bit too deep of a mm-hmm. cut i thought it was a little bit too heavy-handed like just the, it didn't have to take place at anchorhead station and it certainly didn't have to feature cammy and fixer from that one deleted scene mm-hmm. in in a new hope i thought that was just a bit too much uh mm-hmm. i it didn't it didn't resonate with me mm-hmm no, and I get you. I mean, you're right. A certain amount of fan service is, is wonderful, and it's like, all right, this is great. But when it gets to be a little bit too much, you're right. It's kind of it's kind of like a cringy kind of moment. And I actually feel a lot of that just with like Star Trek Lower Decks. You know, I'm glad that they throw the member berries and everything in, but sometimes it's too much. You know what right. I mean? You know, so you're right. It gets more cringy after a while rather than kind of feeding in feeding the story. And it, it is fan service. You're right. So let's move on to chapter three, which is titled The Streets of Moss Espa, and yes. our uh, synopsis, Boba must deal with two very different threats. All right, what did you like about the episode, Chris? I love the introduction of the the biker gang. What were they called, the mods? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the mods. And, you know, I've, I heard a lot of complaints from fans about these characters as being kind of like, well, there were two comparisons. Obviously, there was one to the uh, Power Rangers, Obviously, with the different colors and (laughs) being young, you know. But um, another comparison I saw was to the Teletubbies. There was actually a picture of the Teletubbies with Boba Fett standing next to them. You know, people were circulating on social media. And I kind of thought that that was unfair. I I, I saw where a lot of that, the, the comparisons came from. But Boba needed to have some sort of muscle, some sort of people working for him. And I thought it was really great that he actually worked with them. To get, like, for example, they were trying to get water and they were being overpriced. And mm-hmm. I don't think Boba really knew that. And he actually took their side. Yeah. He basically told the guy, take the, take the prices down. You know, they're trying to survive. And it actually bought him some loyalty from these five people. You know, um, I also love the speeders that, that they introduced, not just the different colors, but it, they have a very art deco kind of look from mm-hmm. the 1930s, which I think is really cool. I love the 1930s, 40s era basically and so that was kind of like a plus for me seeing that and you know and uh also the fact that they're they're enhanced with this cyborg technology it doesn't take away from them or their individuality like it does with the borg in star trek it just kind of enhances them and each gives them like their own superpower 
basically. <laughs> right. You know, so I thought that that was, that was a really neat introduction. I thought it's something different that we haven't really seen in star Wars. We've seen plenty of droids, but this is, this was unique. And I think that there's, as the episodes have gone on, we've definitely see a strong loyalty and I think we're going to see more of them. They're growing and their enhancements. And I don't know. I just think, I just think it was a neat touch, a neat addition. How about you? Yeah. I, I, I agree with everything you said. Um, everything with the mods, that was straight up tribute and and uh, a love letter to George Lucas because he was, that's that was his childhood. You know, he mm-hmm. grew up in the 50s and 60s. He was a teenager in the 50s and 60s. He was huge into mod culture and mm-hmm. huge into cars in general. So mm-hmm. that whole thing was just a, a, a gigantic love letter. Uh, to George Lucas and and his childhood. So uh, I get the issues with it. It, it. You could say it looks a little weird in Star Wars, but Star Wars has never been afraid to get a little weird, though. Either. Exactly. And, and you think about it, too. you got how many hundreds of thousands of cultures in the Star Wars universe? It's not all going to look the same. Right. You know, you're going to have special, unique things that come up. And I think this was, a, a, this was unique for Star Wars, and I'm looking forward to seeing more of them, really. Yeah, I... I want to kind of go back to the very beginning of the episode before yeah. we meet the mods for the first time. And I just yeah. want to call out how awesome it was to see Steven Root in Star Wars. Um, mm-hmm. uh, he is such a phenomenal character actor and he just lights up the screen every single time he's on it. it and you never know what kind of character he's going to play. I mean, right. his, his watermonger reminded me a little bit of his Milton character from Office Space, but with a, a little bit more sinister, you know, mm-hmm. not not quite as, as uh, derpy, I guess. But yeah, it just you never know where Steven Root's going to turn up and to see him in Star Wars. And then and then we get uh, a little bit later, we get Danny Trejo in the same episode. Yes. If you would have told me that I was going to get Steven Root and Danny Trejo in Star Wars, Mm-hmm. I wouldn't have believed you. If you yep. told me that they were going to appear in the same episode, I would have said you're crazy. Yeah. The only thing that could have made it better is having them two on screen together at the same time. But Yeah, that that would have been really really cool. Yeah, you're I mean you're right about Danny Trejo. He is he's another one of those versatile excellent character actors that you've seen him in multiple different things right he always seems to play a tough badass basically you know (laughs) i mean i will say i mean even in fanboys he was kind of like a little bit of a badass by like hitting him up with the drugs (laughs) you know by the way i love fanboys absolutely adore that movie it's great and um but uh it was the perfect role for him if if with that hard lined face of his and that gruff exterior to have him bring in the rancor Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know Mm -hmm. that that fit him perfectly perfectly that being said that kind of leads to the only thing i didn't like about the episode okay is that it kind of domesticated the rancor <laughs> you know it was I, and i guess it's just it's just a minor gripe but that was part of the fun about the rancor and return of the jedi was it was this monstrous scary evil kind of character that was just you know you know you're going to get eaten alive by this thing mm-hmm. now it, it was kind of they domesticated it to some degree now to some degree, I, I like it in the fact that it expanded on the on what a rancor is, you know. But I think it kind of takes away that that some of that scary factor when you when you now mm-hmm. see it, it's going to be like, oh, he's Boba Fett's pet. He's so cute. He's so loyal. You know what I mean? Yeah, but I, I think that was kind of the point, though, wasn't it? I mean, <clears throat> you know, it, you know, Danny Trejo threw out that line there about how a rancor imprints on the first human right. that it interacts with. Mm-hmm. 
and we get so much about we get so much backstory in a single line of dialogue about mm. rancors it's it's crazy you know we go back to return of the jedi you know yeah we see the rancor as it's attempting to kill luke uh and, and then of course before that we see the rancor and the twi'lek dancer in jabba's mm-hmm. palace that he punishes you know but at after luke kills the rancor and escapes we see the rancor keeper and he is a blubbery mess mm-hmm. obviously the rancor keepers who was imprinted who the rancor was imprinted on mm-hmm. And you just felt so much about their relationship and, and having this come, you know, 30 plus years later mm-hmm. and, and explain so much in just a single line was incredible. I thought mm-hmm. I just thought that was incredible. You, you know, that's actually you're right. That's a different way of looking at it. I, I always kind of thought the Rancor Keeper in Return of the Jedi just loved his evil care, his cr- evil creature. <laughs> so I never really thought much about it. But now that you spin it in that way, that actually makes a lot of sense with it, with the imprinting. Um, yeah. So does I guess the question for me was the Rancor? Does it pick who it imprints on? Because my my thought was is if it just imprints on the first person it meets, wouldn't it have imprinted on Danny Trejo's character rather than Boba? Oh no, the the Rancor was blindfolded. Oh okay, I must have missed that piece. Yeah, okay, I got gotcha. you. I got gotcha. you. Did you happen to catch uh, Pelimato walking through the background? Uh, it was the scene where we, um, where we're in Moss Eisley, and you see the uh, the stormtrooper helmets going up on the pikes. Okay, I, I did not see her. No, Pelimato and her three pit droids were walking in the background. Okay, I'm... Moss Eisley, and okay. it was oh, it, 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 it was a blink and you miss it kind of thing. Okay, well, I'll I'll do a rewatch of that episode and look for that. I did not see that. I love that character though, and yes. I, I am so glad we're going to talk about her in a little bit. Right? Who would have known that her appearance in in episode three and chapter three was going to be foreshadowing for something exactly. we'd see later? That was crazy. Exactly. Uh, so we're going to wrap this up. I'm going to say the one thing I didn't like about the mm-hmm. episode. I, I'm putting this down as something I didn't like despite the fact that there was a point to it, mm-hmm. I thought that the massacre of the Tusk, the Tuscan camp, uh, the episode about how they, you know, the episode after they talk about how they've survived the, the time since the oceans dried up on Tatooine by hiding mm-hmm. and, and not being an aggressive tribe and, and attacking uh, humans and other civilizations. And then to see them utterly wiped out mm-hmm. is, was just devastating. And yeah. I, and I think it's all going to make sense by the time we see episode seven. I, mm-hmm. I, I think it's going to make sense if it's going the way it, I think it's going. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially with a, a certain character that we see introduced in chapter six. But at the time that I was watching it, it just, it just seemed like it was total, uh, totally out of left field, and and mm-hmm. really, um, even the first ep- the first rewatch, the second rewatch, or, uh, I I just I still didn't like it. But having mm-hmm. seen what happens in chapter six, I'm a little more at peace with it, and mm-hmm. especially if it goes a certain way. Right. So enough right. of that. Um, let's move on to chapter four. Right. Uh, chapter four is called the Gathering Storm, mm-hmm. uh, and the 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 synopsis that we get for this one is Boba partners with Fennec Shand. So really quick, just the things I liked about the episode. I loved watching Boba and Fennec together infiltrating Jabba's palace to get back uh, Boba's fire spray or Slave One. Mm-hmm. 
know, fire spray ship. He named it Slave One. Apparently, it's not cool to call things Slave One anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, it will always be the Slave One. Um, but if we if we're insisting on calling it a fire spray, so be it. Anyway, mm-hmm. not the point. Not the point. It kind of felt like a spy thriller, you know? Yes. Yes. And I love the feeling of how claustrophobic it was, too. You could actually feel it like when the, the, the ship was spinning around and they were trying to find an exit out. Right. You, know, you kind of feel like, oh, my goodness, how are we going to get out of here? We're trapped. It was almost like the walls were kind of closing in. And then they finally found their exit. And it, it was great. It's nice to see him flying his ship again. Right, right. And then revisiting the Sarlacc pit was mm-hmm. a, a fun sequence. Uh, obviously, you know, Boba had some short-term memory issues and didn't realize or didn't remember uh, coming to and watching the Jawas steal his armor right from his body and then knocking right. him out. Obviously, something affected his brain that he forgot that. So they went, they, them going back to the Sarlacc pit to try to find his armor was, uh, you know, as the audience were like, why is this happening? But, mm-hmm. you know, from Boba's perspective, yeah, he, he, it very likely that his armor was still in there. So, mm-hmm. exactly. That, that was a, just a, a whole cool sequence. Seeing Jabba's destroyed sail barge, mm-hmm. that was perfect. I love that. You know, that mm-hmm. was one of those fan service moments where it's like, okay, this makes sense. That's really cool. You right. could have just left it out, like, and just, or explained and said it was just taken away or strip for parts or whatever right you know that was a nice touch yeah. um also them attacking the sarlacc from up right above was really that was pretty cool too you know and actually seeing the sarlacc kind of finally get what it deserved right you know? right I, um, and, and seeing that emp again i mean we 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 originally saw it in attack of the clones with yes. Django and boba we we saw it again in season two of the mandalorian Seeing it a third time, I mean, it's that that sound effect, that uh, that visual effect, that just gets me every time. I love oh, it. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, the, the sound effect is super cool. It's there's something. It's actually to me, it's kind of a relaxing sound. I don't know. I I, I just think it's really neat. Um, so the, anything? Let's see. What else did I like about the episode? Oh, I loved um, the very beginning of it where Fennec Shan is being rebuilt. Yes. So, yeah. So basically, what. I was trying to figure out what it was. They replaced like her guts. <laughs> okay. I mean, what did they fix? I mean, like, she obviously, she took a gut shot. So yeah. I, I, I don't know. I, I can't remember. It's been so long since I've seen that episode of the Mandalorian, but yeah, I think she took a, a stomach, a, a, a shot to the gut. Okay, so they, yeah. they probably had to completely rebuild her, mm-hmm. um, her entire digestive system. I would think. Mm-hmm. Uh, assuming she still eats i don't know <laughs> yeah yeah they never really explained that so i'm hoping we'll see a little bit more of that because in the la- a couple episodes after that yeah i know where the, the shift kind of focused for a little bit those episodes but yeah i'd like to see more a little bit about what that does for her does it give her any special powers any kind of enhancement in any way or or what or um, or can it be a detriment pretend, yeah. potentially exactly exactly you know but that so i really enjoyed the mod parlor too the guy who actually did the work he he looked he looked really cool yeah i thought i think they they did a nice job with him and just his temperament and the way you know he worked with the whole situation i thought was cool um i also like the end of the episode where they're starting to talk more about the pike syndicate and the increasing conflict with the spice Mm -hmm. Um, being rushed through all of Tatooine. Um, So it's starting at this point, we're starting to get a buildup of a coming war that's really coming. Right. I mean, that's the thing, you know, the through line of the plot uh, uh, with the Pike syndicate is Mm -hmm. all throughout every single episode. Yes. It it may not be as in your face uh, until, I mean, we, we kind of get episode two as, as a direct conflict between Boba and and the Pikes with the train Mm -hmm. sequence. 
but I mean, there there was mention of it in episode one. There's mm-hmm. more talk of it in episode three. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, there's more. There's plenty of talk about it in episode four. Um, right. And of, in two, of course. Right. And in episode two, they were they shot down the uh, Pike's train. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. Yep. Exactly. So the 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 through line for the plot has been there all along. I, right. I don't understand why people seem to think especially when once we start talking about the next two chapters people mm-hmm. think it's such a tonal shift that the the show completely changed directions and i don't agree with that at all mm-hmm. i i think uh and and we're going to talk more about it so yeah you know what honestly with with why why uh why delay any longer let's talk about chapter 5 which through every single person for a complete and total 180 Yes. Probably not expecting to see the Mandalorian, Din Djarin, an entire episode of the Book of Boba Fett. Mm-hmm. But here we are, Chapter 5, Return of the Mandalorian. What did you like about the episode? And and I know it's fair to it's probably fair to say everything, but... Okay, so the stuff that really sticks out for me, um, well, definitely the Darksaber and having that battle with, with his fellow Mandalorian who was trying to get the dark saber back. Um, I didn't expect the moment where he was asked by the for it's the forger, right? Yes. Okay. The forger about whether he had removed his helmet or not. And I, as soon as that happened, I was like, Oh crap, here we go. I knew something was coming. Mm-hmm. And, but he stayed honest about it, but he is now shunned by his, his clan at this point was he was, co- was called an apostate by the guy he was attacking, you know? So that's good. I like that because it, it's, it kind of reminds me of Worf when he lo- like was dishonored in the next generation in deep space mm-hmm. nine and kind of has to work his way back to rebuilding his honor. That's kind of what I'm interested in seeing. I I'm really hoping that's going to be a plot thread that goes through season three of the Mandalorian is because they did say something about him going into the waters of some cave on, Mm -hmm. I I guess it was Mandalore, but it was all destroyed by the empire. Mm -hmm. So is that going to be something he's going to be able to do somehow? Right. There's so many mysteries and so many things that this potentially sets up for, uh, for season three of the Mandalorian, whenever Mm -hmm. we get it. I, I, I mean, Din Djarin has the the dark saber and yes. the one thing that his covert views above all else as the the key to to reestablish a Mandalore is control of the dark saber. Mm-hmm. We see that in this episode. Right. We also have seen uh from the mistakes uh in in rebels and um and later on Bo-Katan in season 2 of The Mandalorian, mm-hmm. we find out that the the lure you know the the dark saber if it's not won in combat can potentially lead to the destruction of mandalore i mean the mm-hmm. empire did it uh you know, sabine just gave the dark saber to bo katan mm-hmm. and she failed in her mission to reunite uh the, the 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 warring clans and and the society and and everything about Mandalorian culture. Right. So the one thing that we can agree on is both this cult, for lack of a better word, this covert, and the Mandalorians in the in Bo-Katan Kreese's clan and you know Costco Reeves and the other guy, they both seem to agree that whoever wields the Darksaber should be the one to reunite Mandalore. Mm-hmm. 
bringing of the two sides together eventually, mm-hmm. whether right. it'll be in Din Djarin's hands or someone else's, who knows? Mm-hmm. Right, exactly. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting mystery, and I'm sure seasons three will start to fill that out. Um, the other thing that I really enjoyed about the episode was, well, going back to Moss Eisley and, and Peli Moto, Again, I, I know I think you feel the same way. She's a wonderful, she's a very interesting character. She's smart, she's savvy, she's sassy. Mm-hmm. You know, she's just she's very confident in her skills. She's got a great sense of humor. Uh, the fact that she was able to get an old Naboo Starfighter, an N1 Starfighter, and they actually fixed it up. They kind of retroed it out and added a few extra things. Right, the outboard motor. I thought yes. that was hilarious. And and yes. again, that is another callback to George Lucas. That's another love letter to George Lucas because Good. of his his obsession with car culture growing mm-hmm. up in the fifties and sixties. It's it's there's so much tribute to George in in this series. It's mm-hmm. I, I love it. Anyway, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But you know, getting seeing him take that old starfighter out and and flying it, and then he had the encounter with the two gentlemen in the X wings, and when he didn't want to answer their questions anymore, he just took off like a bat out of hell. <laughs> they didn't even know where he was. Right. You know that's that's typical Mandalorian behavior, in my opinion. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, I'll tell you what. One of the first things I thought of when I saw that finished, updated starfighter was, I want they're going to make a toy of that, guaranteed, and I want it. Yes, agreed. Uh, absolutely that that was beautiful the way they redid that so um and then seeing uh fennec shand coming at the very end of the episode the fact that she was able to get past the security and she's just kind of sitting there like cool as a cucumber you know like watching like a bat (laughs) it was just like just showed how more mysterious how mysterious and how dangerous really that character can be you know that maybe we haven't seen all of her abilities of what she can do yet yeah Right, right. So I, I want to call out a couple little things. Yes. Um, uh, you kind of you hit the main points. You hit the two main things that mm-hmm. I was going to talk about. So I'm just going to pull up uh, just a, a little bit more uh, deeper stuff. Sure. So w- going back to the meat packing facility, that was mm-hmm. uh, that was an obvious reference to the movie Goodfellas. Mm-hmm. Um, that that's a big tribute to Goodfellas. There, uh, the fact that Mando basically he nearly cut his leg off because he wasn't used to handling the dark saber mm-hmm. and, and fighting with an energy weapon like and and, and and energy blade like that. That's a, that's a, that's a, a something that shows so much attention to detail. Mm-hmm. And I was just, it, it, it makes perfect sense, but if they hadn't sh- had that at all, it still would have made sense. Mm-hmm. Like, it just makes everything that much more cohesive. The fact that, you know, he got the, the dark saber just a bit too close to his leg while he was fighting and, mm-hmm. and ended up nearly chopping his own leg off. I thought that was brilliant. Yes. Um, and again, going back to everything with Amy Sedaris as, as Peli Motto, I love her so much. Mm-hmm. Just it, it, <laughs> the line about dating a Jawa, the line about them being very furry, the fact that she went into speaking perfect Jawa ease and then immediately turns to speaking Galactic Basic again, like yep, I know. I mean, she's just amazing, just as all around as an actress, and she's mm-hmm. just created this really fun, interesting character. And I'm hoping that we're going to see a lot more of her in both series. Really, yeah, you know, maybe get a background story on her. Yeah, um, absolutely. She's. I know you and I are about the same age. Um, I think I'm about two years older, but do you remember the TV show Alice? No. 
Okay, so it was a it was a comedy that was on for nine seasons on CBS. Linda Lavin played the main character, Alice. It was, she was a waitress in the show, and this character reminds me a lot of Alice physically, okay. in the appearance, and just in kind of some of the temperament too. You know, so if just as a side note, if you ever want to check out Alice, it's nice. a good show. <laughs> yeah, uh, if if I have time, certainly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, the other thing that I want to call out is is we were talking about it briefly with uh, when we were discussing chapter four, just the through line of the Pikes. Yes, there's an entire monologue with uh, with Palimato talking about how the Pikes have taken over Moss Eisley and and mm-hmm. how they've taken over all of Tatooine. We get that connective tissue. Everything it 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 all is building up to the finale. And yes, and it, it is this episode was not as uh, as much of a swerve as, as the initially the internet seemed to think it, it right. really it all flows together well and especially works on a rewatch yeah oh absolutely i agree with you all right there sir i guess let's talk about episode six that was yeah. quite a doozy <laughs> <laughs> i mean who would have thought chapter six from the desert comes a stranger who would have thought that after the first four episodes of the book of Boba Fett, the five and six were going to go the, this way. Right. Uh, again, everything, I loved everything about the episode, but you know, I'm going to pinpoint a couple things that stood up out to me above everything else. Okay. Um, I'm sure that none of our regular listeners uh, are going to be able to see this one coming. But for me, seeing Ahsoka was just pure joy and celebration on my part. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I truly, truly did not expect that we were going to be seeing Ahsoka again in live action until her solo series. Mm-hmm. And then, I agree. and then the lines that she gets, the interaction with Luke, the being in the same scene as Luke yes. telling, telling man, telling Din Djarin, telling Mando that she's a friend of the family. Mm-hmm. And then telling Luke that later that he was just like his father. Oh, mm-hmm. Oh, so many feelings. I know. I know that just the connection and the continuity all flowed together. What I'm really hoping for at some point is he, that Luke actually asks Ahsoka about his mother. Right. Cause that was a little thing that got brought up in return of the Jedi and never came back up again. That's true. That's true. I no. wonder, I, I hope we get something like that. That would I be do too. Amazing. I'm a big Padme fan. So, yeah. you know, I, I I'd love to have that her not forgotten. Right. A, oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and, and she's not forgotten. I mean, she's mm-hmm. she gets explored a lot more in the books. But yeah, I would definitely yeah. we definitely need to see more references to Padme in mm-hmm. in live action. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I agree with you. So I agree with you on that as well. I loved watching Luke training Grogu on how to be a Jedi. Mm-hmm. I love the, the whole action scene where he was running with him in, in the backpack. Definite call back to the Empire Strikes Back. Of course. Doing very similar things. Um, I also love toward the end of the episode where Grogu had to make a decision. Do you want to be a Jedi or do you want to go and be with the Mandalorian? And they kind of left it up in the air of like what was going to happen, <laughs> you know? So, but the, 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 the thing about that is it's, it's almost as if Luke hasn't learned from the past. Mm-hmm. I mean, Luke alone, I mean, Luke made the choice to leave his training on Dagobah to go to Cloud City to attempt to save Han and Leia mm-hmm. and Chewie right. and and then the droids. He made that mistake and because he was told he had to make a choice. Mm-hmm. The fact that he's giving Grogu the same choice or a similar choice, go and help 
your friend or stay and continue your training. It, it's, I don't know. It just seems like Luke hasn't learned anything. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. Kind of, I, I agree with what you, with what you're saying. That makes perfect sense. Um, he was given a, a chance in, to make that decision and it, it cost him an arm or hand, <laughs> you know, and, uh, I don't know. I, I, I haven't really thought about it. So I, I just kind of thought like, okay, this is probably what most Jedi do. <laughs> like, <laughs> you have to make that decision. Are you going to hold on to your attachments or are you going to let go and focus on the Jedi? Right. It's kind of how I, I saw it. So hopefully episode seven will uh, explain some of that. Hopefully. Oh my goodness. The big, the big reveal at the end of that episode. Holy cow. How do we not talk about Cad Bane? I know. Yeah, that's a good point. I was thinking about that when we were recording. I was like, let's not forget Cad Bane. <laughs> yeah. You know, I think we were so excited about seeing Grogu and, and Luke and Ahsoka. That right. And then we got off on our tangent. Yeah. We, we <laughs> forgot to mention that. Well, I'll be I'll be honest with you. I love the fact it felt like an old school Western. I love Freetown or Moss Pelgo. It's just it's this tiny little town. You've got your marshal. you got your deputy. Um Got the, the the town bar and the bartender, and watching Cad Bane coming in, kind of like basically the old Clint Eastwood movies from back in the day. Mm-hmm. Um, even down to the you know the hat and the the, the sharpshooting, and you know, I, I thought it was really fascinating. And one thing I will say, Cad Bane actually freaked me out when I saw him on screen. He is just the kind of character. His the look and the voice and the presence, you know, is chilling. Mm-hmm. You know, he's clearly a, a cold-blooded killer. He d- goes from job to job doing what he needs to do. There's really no loyalty except for to the people who are paying him. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I I'm I don't know a whole lot about Cad Bane. I know we had seen him on and off throughout the Clone Wars, right? Um, but so I'm looking very forward to seeing how he kind of ties in with the Pike Syndicate. Is this just a job for him, or is there something deeper going on with him in this role in this job? Basically, right. Right. So my my wild prediction for episode six, I think we're going to find we're we're going to find out that Boba um Boba is going to find out that Cad Bane was the one behind the massacre of the Tuscan village. Okay. I that's my wild prediction. I think that is going to be he is going to be losing the battle against the Pikes because of Cad Bane's involvement. He he's mm-hmm. not going to be able to rally the the amount of troops that he thinks he needs. Mm-hmm. Uh, or or there's going to be uh, a scene where we find uh, you know where where Boba finds out that Cad Bane's involved and he's going to drop a line of dialogue or something mm-hmm. that that he was responsible for the Tuscans. And I think that's what's going to be the thing that gives Boba his second wind mm-hmm. and and helps him win. Mm-hmm. That's my wild prediction. Probably completely inaccurate. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> yeah, I'm not really sure. I'm. I can see the, the the story going both ways. I can obviously see Boba something happening at the end. There's like a, a miracle, kind of like in the Rise of Skywalker when the the fleet, the whole galaxy's fleet, just kind of happened to arrive. So maybe the cavalry will come in and help. Um, there's definitely going to be a lot of issues going on because they're clearly outnumbered by the Pikes. And, and their followers. So, oh, for sure. Yeah. Um, my guess is I'm predicting that somehow they're going to pull off a victory, but we're going to get some sort of cliffhanger twist at the end, whether it's at the end of the episode or like after credits. Mm-hmm. It's going to be like, it's going to make us go, oh, crap. Now we got to wait for season two and see what, <laughs> what happens. So, yeah, it'll, it's going to be fun. I can't wait to, to watch 
after seeing episode seven, I'm going to do my second rewatch and watch every se- uh, all seven episodes back to back to back to back. I agree. Uh, yep. and, and and I want to see how it all flows together and see if um, that, that through line really does carry the whole show. Right. Yeah. Hey, we've discussed the first six episodes of the book of Boba Fett. Episode seven is available at the time that we're recording this. Uh, go watch it. I think we're going to really see the evolution of streaming television in, in this episode. Uh, man, I can't wait. So I think that's going to do it for episode number 14 of Captain's Logs and Lightsabers on this very special Star Wars Podcast Day 2022 edition of the show. Thank you for listening. May that force be with you. And live long and prosper.